0: And if you'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter seven. John chapter seven. Yesterday I had the privilege to do a renewal of vow ceremony for Quinn and Mel. And um, today they're leaving to go on a week vacation, and so i um, um pray for them. Please. John chapter 7, in verse 25. Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? Howbeit we know this man whence he is, But when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am, and I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he have sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believe on him, and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man have done? The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while am I with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me. And where I am, thither ye cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go, that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles, and teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this, that he said, Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me. And where I am, thither ye cannot come. And the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Have not the Scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David, and out of the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. And some of them would have taken him, But no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them, The Pharisees, are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believe on him? But this people who know of not the law are cursed. Nicodemus saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, doth our law judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee arise of no prophet. And every man went unto his own house. Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray, Lord, that you would bless the children as they hear the message um, just next over in the fellowship hall for the kid venture. And just thank you, Lord, for how you've used um, Alan and the cool over there and Patty and my wife. And just pray, Lord, that that ministry will just continue to blossom. And we just ask for your blessing upon your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And so at this time, Here, Jesus ends up confronting the people with three issues. Um, That One, there was a problem because of them being hard-headed and willfully ignorant. But they were perplexed at the religious um, people's leaders' failure to arrest and silence him. And so they believe if he was really a fraud, um, and so in... In, in, in verse 25, it was, It's not this he whom they seek to kill, but lo, he speaketh boldly. And they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? And so the people were kind of confused or kind of hard-headed, but they were also thinking, if this is really the Christ, or if this is a guy that claims he's Christ and he's not, why aren't the leaders going about to kill him? Now we see in the sovereignty of God is because His time was not yet. His hour had not yet come. But the people were confused because Jesus in the temple, he's boldly teaching, teaching from the law of God. And but there was such a dense confusion that it caused the crowd to wonder if maybe in private do they believe that He is the Christ? Do, do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? They're like, okay, they say they want to kill him, but they're not. And so do they secretly know that this is actually Christ? And then, he, and then they're like, but we know this man where he's from. And, 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 so that, and they were thinking he's from Galilee. But, and they're saying, but when Christ comes, nobody's going to know where he came from. And now Micah 5, um, 2 declared Bethlehem is the place that Christ would be born. Um, uh, But Jewish tradition had developed the opinion that he would appear suddenly to the people while his location would have been previously unknown. And so they, they miss the scripture in Micah chapter 5. And Jesus points out to them that they know Him. They knew that Jesus knew there was something burning in them that spoke that Jesus was the real deal. After all, these people saw the miracles of Christ. They saw what He had done. But He brings out that though they have known Him in person, they do not know the Father. They do not know God Because they're not recognizing his spiritual origin. They're not recognizing that he was actually sent from God. But that they had met him in person. And that the people were divided in their convictions regarding who Jesus was. Some people believe and some people did not um, believe. And so when Jesus says, You both know me, and ye know whence I am, and I am not come of myself. But he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. But I know him, and I am from him, and he hath sent me. And then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believe on him. And so some of the people, many of the people, did believe on Jesus and they said, when Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man have done? And so they're like, okay, we've seen the miracles. We believe on him. Okay, And they're like saying to the other people that are confused. So really, when the real Christ comes, is he going to do even more than this man does? Really? Are they, is he going to do more? But well, we see the Pharisees, they murmured, or they, or they, they, they started to complain, they started to worry about what was going on. That many of the people were starting to believe on Jesus and were wanting to follow him. And so the Pharisees got upset. They heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, that they were talking about Christ and stuff. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. And so here we see that, okay, we need to get this guy arrested. Now the Pharisees and the chief priests, the Pharisees heard about it, so they went to arrest them. And now understand that the Pharisees and the chief priests historically did not have a good relationship with each other. Most of the chief priests would would have been um, Sadducees. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees had different beliefs um, where um, the Pharisees would follow the Bible, the Sadducee, or the Torah, or they would claim new so to speak. The Sadducees would only accept the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, as being authentic. And then the Sadducees did not believe in the, re- in the resurrection, whereas the Pharisees did. But um, they, they always had religious battles, disputes with one another. And they despised, they hated each other. But their mutual hatred for Jesus brought them together with the goal of getting rid of him. They had such a hatred for this man, this God manifest in the flesh, that they united in their hatred to have him arrested and eventually killed. And so they sent officers to arrest him. And now these officers were temple guards who functioned as a kind of police force composed of Levites who were in charge of maintaining order of the temple. But they could also be used by the Sanhedrin um, in areas outside the temple surroundings in religious disputes That did not affect Roman policy. And so they would be able to expand their responsibilities a little bit. But then we see that Jesus points out the danger of delayed conversion. And yet a little while am I with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come. Now, when Jesus was going to go to the cross, and he was going to go and be back with his father, but the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, um, in their state of unbelief, they would not be able to go with Jesus. They may seek him, but they would not be able to find him, that he'd be be with his father. And so it is today that so often, though, that people will delay seeking after the Lord. Don't delay. And it's no wonder the Bible says, Behold, today is the day of salvation. You don't know if there's going to be tomorrow. You don't know when the Spirit of God maybe gives you over to a reprobate mind. You know what? Done. We don't know. And so delayed conversion is a dangerous thing. And, and but thanks be to God that we've seen the Spirit of God work on people's lives day after day, year after year. That there are testimonies of those that have rejected God in their early years and then later come to a saving faith of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's only because of his mercies that we weren't consumed earlier. There's the danger of delayed conversion. And then the the people wondered, the question, um, what does he mean by he's going to go that we shall not find him? Is he going to go among the Gentiles? And that was kind of more of a mockery. That, you know, okay, oh, is he going to go amongst those heathens? Is he going to go hang out with the pagans? Is that where he's going to go? Is that why we're not going to find him? Because we have no dealings with the Gentiles. And so then they're like, okay, then yeah, we won't be able to follow him if that was the case. But look at this. This, this, this is rich hair. I can't even communicate with, with how rich um, this is. But in the last day, that great day of the feast, this is the feast of the tabernacles. This is, this is a great day. This is the last day, the seventh day of the feast. Now, a, tra- a tradition grew up in the few centuries before Jesus, down the seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacles, that a golden container filled with water from the pool of Siloam was carried in a ceremony by the high priest back to the temple. And this had significance to the Jews in a variety of ways. One, it was a reminder of when Moses struck the rock. And then out of the rock, waters came. That Jehovah, that the Lord God, had given water, had given abundance in the middle of the desert, out of a rock that Moses struck. Psalm 78, 16 says, He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. What a sight that must have been. Man, to to be there in person, to see a rock struck and then water like rivers just coming out. Now it's the priests in the procession, so they would kind of do it kind of like a march, kind of like a little parade with the priests, um, to the water gate on the south side of the inner temple court, three trumpet, trumpet blasts were made to mark the joy of the occasion. And the people would recite Isaiah 12 3, which says, Therefore, with joy shall he draw water out of the wells of salvation. This is rich. This is rich. This is what they're looking forward to that the wells of salvation, drawing out the wells of salvation. And in the temple, as the onlookers watched, the priests would march around the altar with the water container, while the temple choir would sing, sing Psalms 113 to Psalms 118. Now they would sing that as a choir, It's a, it's a group. The water was offered in sacrifice to God at the time of the morning sacrifice. The use of the water symbolized also the blessing of adequate rainfall for crops. The water pouring right also associated within Jewish tradition is a foreshadowing of the eschatological rivers of of living water foreseen in Ezekiel 47. Where it talks about the rivers come flowing flowing from Jerusalem and um, the waters going to the sea. And also Zechariah 13:1, and it says, In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. They are looking forward to a water that brings forth that washes sin and uncleanness okay okay it's a prophetic okay Zechariah 14:8 also says and in that day that living water shall go out from Jerusalem half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea in summer and winter shall it be Okay, and so there's two applications. There's, there's going to be a literal fulfillment of literal water, but that there would be a spiritual application that Jesus ends up crying out loud. But also in this context comes Isaiah 58, 11, which says, And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought. And make fat thy bones, and thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. And so Jesus used this time, the Feast of the Tabernacles. The last day of the feast, when the priests would be going about the altar carrying this golden container with water that they got from the pool of Siloam, that Jesus would use that as an illustration, is to show what it was illustrating. And it was a very public invitation for them to recognize he was the Messiah. Says Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, doesn't say go to that water where the ceremony is, but no, he says, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me is the scripture have said, Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. I see, the Jewish people, they were only looking at the fulfillment of water coming through Jerusalem. They saw Israel is the navel of the earth, that it was the belly um, of, of the earth, and that, that's where the rivers of water would come, and that that indeed is going to happen. But Jesus is speaking that he is, also he is, the fulfillment of this. That if any man were to thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And so, this this signifies his invitation that he was the fulfillment of what the Feast of Tabernacles anticipated. What the people were hoping for. He was the one who provided the living water that gives eternal life to man. His words recall also Isaiah 55, 1. Ho, oh, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that have no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now this would be something we would not have to pay for. This is something that Jesus paid for in His sacrifice, in that He died for us. And then Jesus said, He that taketh of my flesh... And ease and drinks of my blood shall have eternal life, that he was using that is a metaphor of believing on Jesus Christ. To believe that he broke his body and yet his bones were not broken is the scripture prophesied about, but that his shed blood would be on our behalf. And this is what Jesus brings out on the last day of the feast of the tabernacle that he would be that rock that would be struck on the cross. That he would be smitten. And then we see later in the story of Moses, um, that we see that God tells Moses to speak to the rock. And Moses, in his anger with the people, strikes the rock again. And God was displeased with that. That God would not allow Moses in his lifetime then to see to be in the Promised Land, because now you know Jesus isn't going to die twice for us. He died once. There is no more sacrifice for sins. If it wasn't Jesus, or if we could even lose our salvation, and if we were trying to get saved again, there is no more sacrifice. Salvation's in Jesus alone. And now Jesus gives us the power, the authority to speak to the Father in His name. That we could boldly enter the throne of grace. That He isn't to be stricken a second time. And so it summarizes the gospel invitation that there's a recognition of need, which leads to an approach to the source of provision followed by receiving what is needed. The thirsty soul needs, craves, to come to the Savior to drink, to receive the salvation that He offers. Jesus is saying that the part of us that is never satisfied, the part of us that craves so much becomes when we receive this water, the water of life, receive Jesus, then our soul is satisfied. Our unfulfilled desires can become fully satisfied by virtue of the indwelling of the Spirit of Christ in our lives. Not only does this satisfaction come in Christ, but it overflows to others. Notice that Christ did not say river. But reverse pearl. Rivers of living water flow out of us by virtue of the indwelling Spirit of God. When a person comes to Christ, that satisfaction will flow within them. When they have the Spirit of God living within them, helping them to walk, to live the Christian life. Because in the flesh we can't do it. In the flesh, it is overwhelming. The sin keeps us trapped, but when the Spirit of God brings illumination, and we respond to that light, that dissatisfaction, the joy we receive with the Spirit of God ends up becoming an outflow through us. In the 1800s, there was Billy Bray. He ended up he grew up in a Methodist church, and and then ended up becoming a preacher. And he was a dynamic Christian by what, what, what many writings say of him, but he was a Cornish miner. And he was so overflowed with Christ that wherever he went, men often trusted in Christ. That he was the soul winner. That he just had this testimony that you know, the Spirit of God was in him. He went, he communicated with people, with the, the Gospel, and people... Trusted in Christ. He was persuasive. But it wasn't in his own power. It's by the Spirit of God that was within him that he was able to lead people to Christ. And each day as he would go down into the mines, which were very dangerous in those days. It's still dangerous today, but in those days, very dangerous. But he would pray with minor, with the other miners As he went down, Lord, if any of us must be killed or die today, let it be me. Let not one of these men die, for they are not happy, and I am. And if I die today, I shall go to be in heaven. Then he looked after the people that he worked with. He's like, Lord, if anyone was to die, fatalities would be common. (laughs) He's like, you know, let it be me. I know I'm going to be with the Lord. These people don't know him yet. And it was rumored that at other times when he got to the bottom of those mines, the other miners would be on their knees praying for him. It was like rivers flowing from him. His influence, just his testimony of prayer, it flowed out to other people. The Bible says that He spoke of the Spirit John uh, in verse 39. But this spake He of the Spirit, which they that believe on Him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. That after Jesus would be resurrected, after He would go up again, that then eventually the Spirit of God would come and indwell believers and seal Believers, till the day of redemption. And then we see in, in, in here that many of the people, therefore, when they heard of this saying, said, of a truth, this is the prophet. Okay, They thought, okay, this is a prophet. But they didn't really necessarily believe that he was the Christ. But then there were others that did believe he was the Christ. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Shall we really come out of Galilee? Is this really where Christ would come? Have not the Scripture said that Christ come of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem and where David was? And now these people, okay, not the not the um, chief priests and not the Pharisees, case okay, we see they're confused as we get further down in the reading. But these people understood that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. They just didn't know that this Jesus was born in Bethlehem. They thought He just came from around the Sea of Galilee. They didn't realize that this was He that was born in Bethlehem. And so there was a division among the people because of Him. And some of them would have taken Him, but no man laid hands on Him. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Hey, the Pharisees, chief priests say, Why have ye not brought Him? Hey, there's division amongst the people about who Jesus was. Some believe he was a good man, a good prophet, and nothing more. Some believe he was the Christ, and others believe not. There was great division. Each one of them had to make their choice. There was division amongst them. They could not depend on daddy's and mommy's faith. They could not depend on the faith of their siblings. This was the conclusion they needed to come to on their own. And the officers, perhaps some of them believe, um, um, we don't know for sure, the Bible says some of the people believe, but we see the officers did answer. Never man spake like this man. They were amazed. They were amazed about Jesus. Who knows? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But perhaps some of these Jewish people, they understood the significance of the Feast of the Tabernacles. And so when Jesus then says that He is the water of life, He did His thirsty, come to Me, the light bulb may have went on. They may have been like, whoa, wow. No man spake is this man. And here we see the Pharisees, they mocked him. They said, Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? But these people who know of not the law are cursed. And so they bring out, go, You know what? Do you see us? We don't believe on this man. We're 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 the religious superiors. We are, we, we are the religious elite. We are the ones that have the academic credentials. Do you see us falling for this guy? We're not gonna be deceived. Are you deceived? They mock them. They claim elitism. They're saying that none of the smart people have believed on him. That it's just the ignorant who don't know the law of God that believe on Him. And that they are cursed. That those that are ignorant, they are cursed. And if they fall after this guy, it's because of their ignorance. Ignorance. No wonder in Corinthians, the Bible says, Not many noble are called, but few. You know what the rich, the mighty... They often see no need for Jesus. They've made it on their own. They have they, accomplished their earnings, their living. They have they have their smarts. Like we we don't need this man. We know this man is a fake. And so the Pharisees mocked them not as on professional grounds, but on religious grounds as being them being Levites. Uh, In essence, they accuse him of being deceived, while they self-righteously in their wisdom and knowledge would not be deceived. But then Nicodemus speaks up. Now, he doesn't directly say, hey, I'm a believer now. But Nicodemus is the one that came to Jesus by night to ask questions. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He is the chief ruler. Among the Jews. And he came to ask of Jesus. And Jesus said, Except ye be born again, ye shall not see the kingdom of God. And that's where Nicodemus was like, what? Am I gonna really go in my mother's womb a second time? That's ridiculous. How is that possible? And he says, No, you know, except a man be born of the flesh and born of the spirit, he shall not enter the kingdom of God. History, tradition says that Nicodemus became a believer, a follower of Christ, and pastored churches. But here we see Nicodemus says, "Does our law judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth. And so by that, him asking that question, it looks like the Spirit of God's been working on him. That he's realizing, you know what, there's something different. We ought not to condemn a man until he is completely heard. And then they mocked him. Then answered and said unto him, Are thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee arise of no profit. And every man went unto his own house. You know what, the real ignorance lay with the arrogant Pharisees who did not carefully search out the facts of where Jesus was born. Now, many of the people, they knew Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. Many of them didn't know He was born in Bethlehem. But these people are assuming again that He's from Galilee. And He says, no prophet comes out of Galilee. But yet, they miss that. The prophets Jonah and Nahum did come out of Galilee. And so claiming to be the religious experts, to have the academic credentials, they miss it. They miss it. And so it is that even today that there will be scholars, even in the Christian world, that will say parts of our Bible don't belong in the Bible. And we'll get to that maybe next week um, in John chapter 8, in the the next... um, 12 verses or so, um, starting in verse 53 in chapter 8, that they'll say, this was not in the original manuscripts. Which we don't have the original, original right now. You know, maybe one day the original will be found. How they'll figure out is the original, I don't know. But you know what? God promised he would preserve his word. And so the next account with the woman being taken into adultery, we could trust in it. And it's so crazy, it's kinda of funny that those that the scholars that say that we need a new version of the Bible every year. Okay, I'm not talking about okay after four hundred years, or I'm talking about they're saying every year. Hey, we need a newer version of the Bible. We need a newer one so it's easier to understand. And they'll say that over here. And then over here they'll say, You need to learn Greek to really understand what God's word says. Okay, so going to just a little bit older English, that's too hard for a person to do, but we just expect every Christian to understand God's word has to learn Greek. I don't get it. It's very ironic that, that they, would, they, they would say it. It, is, it is the same people that they'll say, the same scholars, that they'll say, oh, you have to, um, they need something easier to understand, but then they'll say, but you don't really know what God said unless you learn Greek. And I'm thankful for people that have known Greek. And, and it's a great thing if people do learn Greek. If people want to learn Greek, that's wonderful. That's great. We need the Bible translated in other languages. You know, the Bible speaks about how um, to, to, we're to publish the Word of God amongst all nations. We're not supposed to publish them English Bibles if they don't speak English. We're going to publish them Bibles in their language. And stuff. And the Greek manuscripts do have this passage, but there's a few that do not, and so they just rely on them. It's the greater um, credibility in their eyes. But it's not foreign to us today that people will think their scholars that they're the elite, that they understand more um, than the average Christian. And many of them are going to unbelievers for their translation as well, for their theories. And I was just listening to a guy the other day, Mark Ward, and, and he was saying, "Yeah, we know that a lot of these things that we get from some of the Greek translation or translations of Greek, we know un- some of them are unbelievers, but they're just merely serving as a reporter, and so they're like saying it's a reporter. They're neutral." They're just giving it. I wouldn't want some. I wouldn't want to put my faith dependence on someone that's an unbeliever in handling the words of God. Sure, can they make a translation? Sure, but am I really going to trust the work that they're doing? Oh, I have my doubts. You know, unbelievers not going aren't the ones that are trying to increase our faith, so to speak. But we see that Jesus brings to people on the last day of the feast, to a place of decision. That will they believe on Christ? Will they come to Him as the water of life? Will you follow Christ when others do not? Will you follow Christ when your mentors fall? Hopefully they don't. But if they do, or if they have will you will you lose faith maybe you won't lose your faith in god okay but maybe you know what will you quit being in church will you will you quit following jesus will you quit serving him because someone you looked up to falls whether it be in morality or goes into some heretical teachings doctrines or says you know what i am now an atheist are you going to lose faith then You see, it's no different here. Some people believe Jesus was a good man, a good prophet. Some believe He was Christ, and many people mocked. Which one are you going to be? There's division today about who Jesus is. Are you going to be a believer or a non-believer? we just following Jesus because it's convenient. Following are some words of new followers of Jesus, who had formerly been Muslims in Syria. After seeing the brutality of ISIS, and how ISIS fighters persecuted others, particularly Christians, they were willingly to openly convert to following Jesus. One of the men said, if ISIS represents Islam, I don't want to be Muslim anymore. Their God is not my God. Another said, after I witnessed their brutality with mine own eyes, I started to be skeptical about my belief. It didn't take me long to discover that Christianity was the religion I was searching for. These are former Muslims. ISIS went out to seek, to kill, and to destroy. But as Jesus says, fear not he that could um, kill and destroy the body, but fear he that could cast both body and soul into hell. We see these people, because of the brutality of the Muslims, of ISIS in particular, they realize, you know what, this is not the God... I want to believe in. This is not the God I want to serve. And so while Satan used it to intimidate Christians, it actually brought along new followers of Jesus. Persecution will do that. You know, people who think persecution is going to get rid of Christians. Every time this happened, Christianity has flourished. You know, like Christianity, even in China, is flourishing in different areas. You know it was underground and now in many places it's out of ground now this past year um, you know what some of it has gone a little bit more underground again but they're flourishing there's more followers are following Jesus they see the brutality of the dictators and they realize you know what that's not a God of grace that's not a God of mercy that's not a god of love Tertullian a 2nd century Christian, who was, if I recall correctly, a disciple of Polycarp, who was a disciple of the Apostle John, Tertullian says this, We are not a new philosophy, but a divine revelation. That's why you can't just exterminate us. The more you kill, the more we are. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You praise those who endured pain and death, so long as they aren't Christians. Those others that they admired, their, their, their mythologies or whatever it may be, they honor their deaths, even if they were just legends. And he goes, but with Christians, you don't honor them. Because your cruelties merely prove our innocence of the crimes you charge against us. And you frustrate your purpose. And you know, you're trying to get rid of us, but you're frustrating your own purpose. Because those who see us die wonder why we do. They, yes, people are seeing us crucified, people are seeing us fed to the lions. And people wonder why is this happening? These are good people. These are outstanding citizens. Why are these people dying? What well, they wonder why we do? For we die like the men you rever, not like slaves or criminals. And when they find out, they join us. That they become followers of Christ. And again, as Jesus said, um, "Come to me, ye that thirst." Believe, that believes on me shall flow rivers of waters, that the Spirit of God will be within us, and that it will flow out its rivers of waters, we see that Christianity, the church, would grow through that persecution. Isis, again, is famous for their persecution of Christians. And while their attacks led to mass Exodus, Of Christians from the region, the aftermath of their violence is showing that persecution can have the opposite effect that was intended. While they persecuted Christians with a desire to spread fear and show their faith was the only correct one, that Islam was. In the cases of new believers quoted above, the effect actually pushed them away from Islam even though it put them at risk. Now they're willing to take the risks associated with following Jesus. One talked about how following Jesus has ruined his family relationships, his relationships with his family. Seeing the persecution of others was the seed that grew in his heart and ultimately confirmed that his previous faith was empty, it was void. And he discovered Jesus. And that relationship was so powerful that he was willing to take the huge risk of leaving this old faith. And now he's attending a church that meets above ground. They're not in secret. They have a church building. They meet openly in a Muslim country against the wishes of his family. Sasha, will you follow Christ out of conviction? You know, people will be afraid to name the name of Christ just because they're embarrassed of being considered too religious. Well, we got brothers and sisters overseas putting their faith in Christ and following Jesus passionately when it costs them their family and could cost them their life. Let's have a time of invitation and prayer as Joey comes and plays a song of invitation. Jesus, may we ask the Lord, helping it be with conviction that you follow Jesus, that may it be with conviction that you share Jesus with others. You're not afraid of what people think. There was division in Jesus' day. Some believe He was a good man, some mock, and some believe. It's up to you to decide where you're going to be. If you don't know Jesus, I plead with you. Come talk with me. or Come now, right after the services, and we'll show you again from the Word of God how you could have eternal life through Jesus. Jesus alone. Jesus did not have to make a way of salvation, but in His grace and mercy, He has.